Folks, before we get to the show, I wanted to give you the skinny on one of the best craft beer happy hours here in our little town of Chico. That's, of course, at the Handlebar. They're located at 2070 East 20th Street. And if you didn't know, they have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. During that time, you get a dollar off any of their craft beers. It's a great selection. And there's 28 of them. They have a gorgeous patio with spring and possibly a very, very hot summer just around the corner here in Chico. It's the place to be. Again, that's the Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street. Check out their happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is a podcast and sometimes radio show where we talk about craft beer and film. And my name's Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Welcome to the show. This week on our show, uh, what happens when Johnny picks the movie of the week and I get to go watch a horror movie from A24 and director Ty West in theaters by myself. In other words, it's our take on the film X, a film in the tradition of 70s slashers about a group of kids who rent a cabin in the middle of nowhere, Texas, from a creepy old couple with the hopes of shooting a cinematic adult film. Thinking that plot sounds familiar? It is, and it isn't, but more on that in a bit. So beers this week are from Prairie Artisan Ales out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Our first beer is a beer called Thai Delight. It is a mango sticky rice-inspired sour Mm. that's 5.1%. And Cleveland Cowboy will be our second beer. It's an imperial pastry sour with, are you ready for this? Cherries, tart, and sweet, vanilla, cinnamon, and pecans. That beer is 7.9%. Yeah. Uh, If you're listening on KZFR, 90.1 FM, we hope you're having a fantastic Thursday evening. But unfortunately, you won't be hearing this episode in its entirety. You're only going to get the review of our first beer and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of X. But if they want to hear the rest of this full conversation, which includes spoilers for X and The Danger Zone, a review of our second beer, and the Hot and Bothered segment, where could they go, young Maxwell? We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Um, You can also find our episodes on our website, but we drop new ones every single Friday morning at 7 a.m. If you do like our show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. I'd take a four-star, but preferably five stars. Any lower than that, just you don't have to listen to this part. Uh, you can also write us a review, and you can do that on Apple Podcasts. And, and please let us know if you did. We really really like that kind of stuff. Um, if you're more of a social media person, you can find us on uh, Instagram for photos, obviously, Letterboxd for film reviews, Untapped for beer reviews. Uh, we're at Fresh Hop Cinema at all those places. Or like I said, our website, www.freshhopcinema.com. Patreon.com slash FreshHopCinema is a place where you can give us your hard-earned money in exchange for pleasure. Not that kind of pleasure, well, you yeah, sicko. I mean, you know. Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm talking about more of me and Max in your ears being the silly beer-loving goofballs that we are. Uh, we just did a fun segment all about some non-alcoholic beers we tried. We've gone into some science we got into the Olympics. It was a wild and crazy adventure of a bonus episode. We also offer first shot at any merch runs. We do events monthly at the very least. You can come hang out with us. We might yeah. even buy you a beer depending mm-hmm. on what tier you're at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like, like I said, bonus episodes every week of some variety. It is a rotating door of topics. It's always an adventure. Half the time, we don't even know what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we prepare and are super official. Those are great, Sometimes, too. They're all different. They're all fun. Yeah. 
And sometimes it's just for us, for fun. It's for us. We just chat and catch up, and you guys get to be a fly on the wall. Uh, if this sounds like something you'd be interested mm-hmm. in supporting, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash freshhopcinema. And for as little as $1 a week, Buck a uh, week, you can help keep this happening. It's a cup of coffee. You can afford that. We all know you can. And um, I don't know. If you're at a higher tier, maybe we'll give you some actual pleasure. And it's not even like it's not even like a like a stobble or a brave cup of coffee week it's like a it's like a gas, like a gas station, station. Cup of coffee which is like but it's got the quality of a stobble or a brave for the price exactly. of a gas like maybe we should put that on a sticker that is but yeah that's i mean that's patreon in a nutshell so again it's patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema with all of our weekly housekeeping out of the way johnny summers let's get into beers that i picked out for the show this week um if i were on a video you could see me patting myself on the back because preemptively i'm thinking i did a good job at least with beers that will be novel potentially interesting flavors and new things would you please tell me the first one we were drinking nice tie delight that's I'm open right too. <laughs> we are drinking a beer from Prairie called Tide Delight. Like I said, it's 5.1%. It is a sour ale with mango, flaked rice, and coconut cream. And I did not take any dairy pills because, well, coconut cream. Oh, my God. I'm Dude, pouring it. Mine's freaking out. Mine was like, mine, was mine's still freaking out in the can. Is yours, is yours losing it? It's not losing it, but it is alive, and it is creamy looking i can't take a video when we're uh when we're because that's how we no, does, no one needs to peek behind this curtain but i'd like to take a video i can't because i'm streaming in remotely your audio but it's making huge pillow bubbles out of the mouth of the can every like five or six seconds no it's doing that in my glass dude and they're yeah, not going too. away no no it looks like um this is wild looks, looking um it, it oh you know like what a I can spider's do nest i can't take a picture so i'll do that um this is I'm scared, actually. This is a lot of carbonation, a, a scary it, amount of of frothy, filmy carbonation. It looks like um, there's a, a nest of spider eggs in my glass. That's so visually um, descriptive, and it's making my skin crawl, hearing you having chosen that uh, particular visual, but you're not wrong. No, Man. it looks like I'm going to be chewing on baby black widows or something. Uh, and it's got uh, like a... It's <laughs> <laughs> It's but got yeah. a crazy color too. It, man, they put a that it it's if you've ever cooked with coconut cream like made a curry yeah. base or something, this is what it looks like when it starts to boil. It's dude, this is um it's I, filmy. The bubbles are filmy. Yeah, my glass looks like there's been stuff sitting in it for about a week and it's yeah. just kind of it almost looks like it's separating, which probably isn't the case. It's so bubbly, man. Were we supposed to shake this thing up or something? Like highly doubt it. Coconut? I think the can literally might have exploded if we shook it. Um, I but let's, I, let's get into it. This one was canned. Um, I got these at SNS here in Chico, by the way. And this one that I have, and I'm assuming the one you have, was canned on uh, February 18th. So, you know, like six weeks ago from the time of this recording. I wasn't expecting what is in my glass to be in my glass. So I haven't even come, I haven't even smelled it. I've just been staring at it doing its little carbonation dance for the past 45 seconds. But have you, have you tried yours? You're just, you're scared, aren't you? This whole day has been scary. I'm for just you. waiting for you to take the first drink. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't know. I got stuff to do. I don't, I can't get whatever this is going to give me if it goes badly. <laughs> no, it's pleasant. It okay. doesn't, it's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. It just looks like that. It's thick, man. It, it looks like a horror movie. Like there's, there's, yeah, in my glass that is not natural. Way to tie it into the movie, though, you know, or to a yeah. horror movie. Um, you mentioned this is this is 
modeled after mango sticky rice, which is a Thai dessert. I've actually never had it, but I was curious if you have. Mm -mm. I've had Thai sticky rice before, but not with mango. Yeah, it's a pretty big thing. It's one of those, if you Google it, there's, um, I think math, I think if I'm being very accurate, there's exactly five and a half million recipes of it that just pop right up and they all have stories about how this particular person's family has been making Thai sticky rice for a hundred generations. And then I have to hear the answer, but then down at the bottom is a list of ingredients and the recipe. And it's pretty simple. It's just mostly rice and uh, coconut milk and a little bit of water and mango, obviously. And, um, after my first drink, that's uh, very much making me want to try this food, which is, I think a good sign on a first drink. Yeah, absolutely. It's got the creaminess from the coconut cream. That I mean, that's so it's not coconut milk. It's coconut cream. It's a much higher fat content than coconut milk. Oh, so yeah, that's going to give it call. way more body, way more like like a fatty flavor or texture mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. your mouth. So that thickens things up. Like the creaminess really shines through with this. Uh, you're getting notes of like the grain bill of like the rice. It's got that yeah, kind of yeah earthy, woody, nutty rice flavor. It's really good. And then the mango kind of on top of it all with just that punchy tropical fruit. It's not as sour as I expected, which I'm glad because mangoes aren't super sour. It's more of like a tart, juicy punchiness. So I think they nailed the mango flavor. And I really enjoy that I am getting notes of that rice. And then the coconut cream adds such voluptuous texture to this beer Mm -hmm. you like it that you like that texture that's adding i do i do a lot of times you can only get that from lactose and Mm -hmm. even then it doesn't add that i mean sometimes it does because milk sugar adds sweetness so i guess the coconut cream is kind of doing the exact same thing that lactose would do but very accurate to a thai dish you're going to use coconut cream in it yeah um and i think it's adding a really nice counterpoint to the the juicy tartness from the mango, and it really evens it out to be something that is very similar to what like the sticky rice dish would be tasting like. I like that we're at a point in technology, in our society, in, in the course of humanity, that we can pretty much replicate foods into drinks. And I, I don't want to harp on Uncle Ben's point here. Boom, bonus points, also rice. Um, but I meant more in the Spider-Man vein where the great power and great responsibility yarn, cause it does sort of, for this one, at least for me is like, I'm great, super cool that we can do it. Should we have, there's the filminess, dude, the filminess from this coconut cream is not unlike a tapioca or, or gogurt or just yogurt in general. It Mm -hmm. leaves that kind of coating that just is, is, is like splatter painted, all the way from from the tip of my tongue down to what feels like my stomach, just lined with this thick, mucusy coconut cream. I also, I don't know if it's the beers we've been doing lately, but I've developed a lot of respect for food bloggers and, and writers that can really romanticize the ingestion experience because so many of my instincts when it comes to describing beers in this case are very visceral and, and almost unpleasant sounding descriptors. And you said spiders, so I'm not even the worst offender today, but like <laughs> there is, I can't, my brain can't conjure up another way of saying what I'm trying to describe without saying this long filmy mucusy kind of coating in my mouth. And I realize that's not the most romantic language, but that is how it feels. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. And it's it, the aesthetics of this. I mean, you always eat with your eyes first and this does look like something you're, you're going to have to eat because that I, texture it's is not going um, away, man. 
it's still in my glass. And I poured more and then more bubbles just showed up and they like unfurl from the beer and they exist and then they're just there. You know, I don't know if I'm thinking of a particular movie or show or something, but anytime you see a shot of a bog, usually a very impending doomy kind of like not quicksand, but like a, a hidden bog, you'll see a little bubble start to form and it goes, and it goes, and it like kind of just, bleh. you know what I mean? Like mud will just go. Bleh. Yeah. That's what this beer's doing. Every time I pour a little bit more, it's just rising up and there's so much thickness that for the carbonation to break through the top of it, it's, it, it builds up pressure. It looks like, and then like yellow bubble gum. Yeah. And then the layer of foam and bubbles, not popping just stays on the top. Like when I went to take a yes. drink, the beer emerged from underneath a film of bubbles. Yep. It was, yep. This is probably one of the most disturbing beers to look at that <laughs> right, I've ever seen. Right, right. Which makes it but, taste better, kind of, because you're like, oh, at least it doesn't taste like how it looks. Yeah, because it looks like it should be emitting poison, noxious gas. Yeah, Prairies, maybe they're geniuses. They're like, we'll just make a disgusting-looking beer. It will taste average to above average. People will think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's all perspective. I guess. We haven't really talked. Like, do, So do you like this? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. I... I, do you? I don't know. I'm going to try it again. Here we go. I'm going to try it again. No, I like it. I love the coconut creaminess. It just, it tastes really nice. It's not overwhelming in any one capacity. Uh, I think the most overwhelming thing about this beer is just the way it looks. But once you can get past that, it's it's a nice kettle sour. It's not too abrasive, not too acidic. It's got nice sweetness to balance out the tartness. I mean, overall, it's pretty pleasant drinking experience. It's just... It is a nightmare to look at. Yeah. I actually, I don't think I agree with your first stuff either. I don't think I do like this. There's a disconnect for me between, and, and and I don't think you'd even disagree with this. I think it'll come down to preference, but there's a pretty severe disconnect between flavor and body. And some of the creaminess from, or that I'm getting from the body is also there in flavor. And I think it helps mask some of, because there's, there's tart notes in a mango, I think. Um, maybe you've had better mangoes than I have in life, but I'd say like 30% of the time when I eat a mango, I do a little bit of a pucker and I'm not like biting into it and eating the rind or anything. Like I'm eating it properly. But even then, like mangoes can be a little tart. And for me, the, 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 the creamy, I'm even trying to make it sound nice. The creamy, thick, voluptuous body, as you put it, and, and the creaminess and the flavor from that creaminess kind of sits in one corner. And on, in the other corner is the sweetness and the sort of biting tartness and the carbonation. Um, and they're just not, they're not solidifying as, as a singular drinking experience for me. So what's Mm -hmm. happening is I'm drinking it. I'm getting hit immediately with the mango, which is lovely carbonation, a little strong. Then my mouth is just blanketed by this creaminess and it, it does two things. One, it softens the bitter blow a little bit, but it also just overwhelms every bit of the drinking experience. By the end of it, I had literally have been waiting just to almost reset my palate or my mouth to some extent before trying. That's why I've been taking so long to drink this. And it's just, I, I don't know. It's fun to try, but at the price point, it wasn't the cheapest thing in the world. It, um, but it's, it's fun. And I think if, if I were to get it again with the knowledge I have now, I would probably split this with like four people total. And like, I don't, I, I would want to try it maybe twice, like two ounces of it. I'm good, which yeah, is, is not a glowing endorsement for me, I suppose. I think this can definitely needed to get turned over. Uh, so I had poured about a quarter of the can, maybe mm-hmm. half, uh, and drank it first and then started talking about it. 
and then what was left in the can, I gave a really hefty swirl yeah. to, yeah. and it came out pretty well mixed and way less of that filmy carbonation. And I also realized exactly what those bubbles remind me of. It's root beer float bubbles. That's the way exactly, the root beer, dude. Mm. It, mm. it mixes with the cream yep, you're and exactly from the right. ice cream, and it makes those viscous, super thick, like creamy ice cream bubbles. Yes, that's 100% what they look like. Yep. Wow, well done. It, thank you. I was like, I've seen these bubbles before. Where have I seen, <laughs> Where have I seen them? Um, that's Yeah, I was going to say like milky. It's got like this, yeah, the milky kind of quality, and it's 100% from, from milkshakes or, or, or root beer floats specifically because of the carbonation in, in the root beer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, I can't, uh, if I can't, I have to get another glass for our next beer. It's not going to clean yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. We're going to need a timeout so I can go do the dishes real quick. Yeah. Well, let's, let's give, uh, let's give Ty Delight a rating from Prairie for now and, or Ty Delight treat, excuse me. Uh, and then we can move right along unless you have anything else on this beer. Uh, no, I think I'm good to rate it. If okay. you are, you want me to go first? Yeah. I'm going to, I don't even know why at this point. I'm going to take one more drink just to really lock it in. But yeah, please after you. Just take a big drink. Don't mm. sip it. Just just give give it the old hefty gulp. Man, it's a lot when you do that. The carbonation yeah. jumps out a lot more, too. Yeah. I think this is a very unique beer. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the creaminess from that coconut cream, the sweet, soft aspect that it brings to this beer. Um, it's a fun counterpoint to the fruit. I think it would be very intriguing to see more breweries use coconut cream in sours. I think it offers... Such a unique flavor in its sweetness and its smoothness, and it is such a departure from lactose that I, I'm a, I'm a proponent of this beer. I really okay. dig it, man. I like it way more than I thought I would. For me, it's like a seven three. That's a really respectable rating, man. I think novelty is the name of the game here. It's the one saving grace that I'm able to pull from this because the glowing problem for me is this imbalance of the flavors against the body of the beer. But the novelty of something like a mango sticky rice beverage is like you're saying, very unique. I haven't had anything like it. And I'm a big proponent of trying new stuff, trying new styles. Why not? Life's short. So innovate, try new things, which brings it to a solid five. It's very middle of the road, but only because I've been fairly limited in my exposure to um, audacious and adventurous sours. And I bet you if we kept drinking beers of this style as often as we have in the past couple months, and you asked me a year from now to revisit this one, I'm pretty confident my my rating would go down. Okay. But I think five. Huh. I think it's worth – if you haven't had anything like this, try it. Why not? Um, Fair enough. It's uh, Like I said, it's probably around Chico. I got this at s and uh, If you are looking for it, you're looking at their wonderful beer selection, you can't find it, just look for uh, the little window cling next to this beer. It'll have our podcast info. You can scan it. You can find our episode. If you uh, heard about this from a friend and you're hearing it now, welcome. That'll be at s so just grab the beer if you'd like. I think it's worth trying. Yep. Keep your eyes peeled for the beer of the week cling. Once again, you are listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on a Thursday evening on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you do get a chance to try this, we do want to know what you think, uh, so don't don't hesitate to reach out. That's right. And while you're at it, please take a picture of yourself drinking it and tag us on your social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. Please email us at fhccast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Five and four stars only. We sure. don't want anything no. else. Get, Get out, out of here with that three. All right. Next, you're going to hear a trailer for the movie of the week selected by me. So Max <laughs> is off the hook. There's no responsibility there. 
uh, X. Don't worry, there's no spoilers in the next segment, so stick around. Here's that trailer. Farmer's daughter, take one. I need to be famous, Wayne. All the best people are. There ain't nobody else out there like you. You know why? Why? Because you got that X factor. Our days of struggling may soon be over. Hollywood, here we come. So this is it. Our own studio backlog. You're looking for a place to stay. Oh, yes, sir. That's one ugly song, bitch. And my wife, Pearl, is next door. So I would appreciate a little discretion. He don't know what we're doing, does he? Well, it's better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. Would you like to... Come inside. What's about? I want to be in the movie. Well, you can't. The story can't just change midway through. If Daddy catches us, there's no telling what he might do. My wife is not well. It happens after dark. Inside. What do you think is on it? I see one goddamn fucked up horror picture. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. We're a show about the worlds of craft beer and film, and you might be listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, in which case you can subscribe on your phone uh, to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can listen to podcasts to hear our discussion today in its entirety. It's going to be at your ear tips tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. So at the end of this, if you just can't get enough of our buttery voices, there's plenty more to digest. And if you weren't here before the break, again, what you just heard was a trailer for X, Johnny Tell me what that even is. A group of actors set out to make an adult film in rural Texas under the noses of their reclusive hosts. But when the elderly couple catches their young guests in the act, the cast find them find themselves in a desperate fight for their lives. Okay, so Ty West directed this. He actually produced and direct uh, and edited it. Excuse me. It stars Mia Goth, uh, Jenna Ortega, Martin Henderson, Brittany Snow, Owen Campbell. Others, uh, including but not limited to, by the way, Kid Cudi, who who uses his his, his non-rap name here, Scott Mascuti. He also, I believe, produced this film. Um, Johnny, this was this was a you pick, like you said, and it's <laughs> yes. very much a you movie. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's pays a lot of homage and respect to slasher films from the seventies, the sixties and seventies, possibly. There's a lot of um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of. Uh, respect throughout this. And it's not a movie that I probably would have sought out were it not for a couple of factors. Um, I don't know if it feels cheap, but the A24 distribution logo does 
sucker me in a little bit because I think they have a pretty good track record of picking up and distributing, for the most part, quality movies. So even if I stylistically wouldn't have chosen a particular film, it almost always makes me want to say just, oh, I'll see it. See, see what's different. See what's new about this. Why isn't this just a 70s slasher movie retold or reheated or recapitulated for the modern day? And, and, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I really want to know is what did you think? What did you expect and what did you think of this? Um, well, I expected an A24 horror movie, and I think I got that. I mean, I'm very familiar with their track record with horror films, and I've really enjoyed, I would say, probably all of them, you know? For people that aren't familiar, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. So you've got, you know, the folk horror classic The Witch. You've got Midsommar, Hereditary. Uh, yeah. Some might say you, The Green Knight. I would I would say The Lighthouse is what I was going to throw in. And The Lighthouse. Different horror, but also very scary for its own reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I've, sure. I've been a big proponent of their their horror films, and in general, just like you said, kind of you know that anything that they are putting their name on is going to be at least worth a watch because it's bringing something new to the table, either stylistically or in the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. always it's always a uh, you know makes me curious to see what what their movies are all about. So I wasn't went into it pretty much just with the expectations of hopefully a horror movie that does something different that makes me think. And also I was pretty excited because so many horror movies these days are not brand new ideas. They are franchises or sequels or remakes uh, based on existing intellectual properties. So for something to come with, without a franchise tag or without pre-existing baggage, like the newest Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, I mean, yeah, there there is a bit of a formula. Well, I, like, I get what you're saying. You're, I mean, you're not wrong. I just, I do, like, I, I want to be like, but, but like, but yeah, but it is. Like, it's an old formula, and, and they might have done some new stuff. But, but you're right. It's not, it's not literally a remake of Halloween. Exactly. So it's, just something. It, you know, there is, because so much of this movie is an homage to, like, 70s grindhouse B-movie mm-hmm. horror films that, yeah, there's going to be a formulaic aspect to this movie. Uh, the question is, what do they do within that formula that is new, that is intriguing, that makes you think, that that differentiates it? And I think we got that sure. with a lot of the cinematography. I think there was some really cool shots in this. There was a lot of side-by-side shots in a few scenes that I thought were pretty uh, unique uh, to this genre. You don't see a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff in horror movies. It, it definitely blurred the lines between slasher film and like art house. It was like a... A, like a sloppy horror meets art house cinema type movie. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised at this. I went in with very average expectations. And what I found was a movie that was deeply unsettling in several ways. And a lot of that we probably can't get into until we get to the spoilers. Yeah. Uh, but there were some scenes that were absolutely just uncomfortable to watch yeah. and not in like an over the top gory way either. There was that. Right. Don't get me wrong. There was a, massive amount of the splatter factor in this but beneath that was some deeply disturbing psychological things where Mm -hmm. yeah like i said we'll get into that more but i found it disturbing uh delightfully horror ish i don't know it just had a good vibe i felt like it walked the line very carefully between inspiration and adaptation I think mm. that there was a nice balance of of homage versus originality, which is very hard when you're trying to do something that is so 
existing and so defined as a genre. You know, the 1970s horror films are what they are. That decade is long past. We have that canon to go off of. So to draw inspiration from that and not completely rip it off, I think, is the challenge for a movie like this. And I think X did it very well, and it presented us with some new things. Uh, It made me jump at least twice, which is Mm -hmm. very not easy to do. So um, overall, I like this movie quite a bit, and I am so happy I got to make you watch it. I, dude, so like if anything has proven true in the course of this podcast in terms of developmentally with myself, it's that my, not tolerance, that's not quite right, my ability to appreciate a good horror movie when one comes on a screen I think has been sharpened. I I didn't ever used to watch horror movies when we started the show over five years ago. They scared me. And and part of that was my exposure to certain types of movies. But in the years since, I have come to appreciate certain types of horror movies. A lot of them, the ones that you mentioned at the top, they happen to be A24 films that, that try to break the mold in one way or another. I think one of the things this thing does well is draw some fun parallels between porn and horror. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if somebody even points it out in the movie, but like my problem with a lot of slasher movies, we can use the example of Halloween because I just seen the original for the first time and we just covered the remake um, a few months ago, is, is that horror is often, at least what I would consider bad horror, is a vessel to kind of just show people scary or bothersome stuff and the narrative comes second it's like you can you can craft a bad story we're here to see skin and sin basically Mm -hmm. and what good horror movies do right is they tell you they do more than that They, they don't just they don't just provide characters and a flimsy plot and then kill off those characters the interesting thing about porn and the way that they intertwine it here narratively is that that's basically what porn was trying to do especially in the 70s like all right, we're going to build up a story, but then like we all know what we're here to see, so let's get to it. And the way that the movie uses those two, or that same mentality of these two different styles of filmmaking, I think is very clever. There's some great editing that's done definitely in the first half of the movie, and there's a particular sequence that I won't give away now, but I think I really loved the first half of the movie, which is basically delineated by a, a, a musical moment that I really enjoyed too. A lot of the creative energy you mentioned the editing in this movie, which I think deserves a shout out, uh, the cinematography and the editing for what it's worth. But it was edited by uh, David Okashaveroff, I think, and Ty West with cinematography by Elliot Rocket is very inventive and it keeps it from feeling old and stale and boring. There are some really innovative shots and the parallels that are told between kind of what's happening with, I don't think this is giving anything away, the, the group of friends and the couple whose land they are on there's some really creative editing done that sucks you in and, and makes you realize, at least for the first half of the movie, I'm watching something different. Mm-hmm. The second half of the movie, it being a slasher, does kind of, I will say, devolve, some might say evolve, into kind of what you expect. And and that part interests me far less. But I also think there's an expectation and a groundwork that has been laid in terms of expectation. When you see a slasher movie, you need some slashing. So mm-hmm. it's fine. I think what matters to me the most is the foundation that is set before the slashing takes place. And I think X does a really good job of building that foundation. Yeah. I I liked it enough. Excellent. Yeah. You can't have all slash with no character development. I think that's what makes them fall into those bad movie tropes where it's just, it's all tertiary. It's all just, you're here for the violence and, and nudity. And yeah, for a movie to set itself apart and actually give us 
some personality to these characters and that they're not one dimensional and they're not caricatures of people that were in movies in the seventies and eighties when this genre was really coming to prominence. And yeah. that was kind of the era this was inspired by. I mean, there was a lot of bad movies in that era that really did fall yes. into those traps. So the fact that it, it took the time to let these characters breathe a little bit, gave it more depth than your average slasher movie by a lot. My one slight pushback is, and it's not even a pushback, it's more of an uh, expounding on what I was saying, is that I, I still don't know that I'd agree with you that these characters are super dimensional. I think where the innovation comes is more in the, the craft itself of making this movie, though I do agree, even with a, a relative lack of dimension in most of these characters, they are a, they are multiple personalities ahead of where these characters would have been in the 70s. So yeah, yeah I think in general it's, um, it's on the right track, but... Uh, before we run out of time with our radio listeners, why don't we give it a rating and then we can save our thoughts for the rest of it in, for our podcast listeners in the danger zone. Sound good? All right. For me, okay. X is 8.1. 8.1. Very good, man. You'd, you'd, you'd travel to see it, in other words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, 8.1. For me, it's a 7. I think it's a super soft. Maybe it's not. Hang on. I'm sorry. That was incorrect. It's a 6. I think it's a 6. Wow. Yeah. That's where it's at for me. It's That's about... I think the ceiling for a, a slasher movie as well done as most of this is. I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, but we can get into more of that in a bit. Once again, you have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you're interested, X is in theaters now. If you've seen it, you have thoughts of your own, you can reach us again on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema or send us a well-worded email to fhccast at gmail.com. And to our radio listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mm. on KZFR 90.1 FM. As a reminder, if you want to hear the rest of today's conversation, which includes spoilers for X, a review of that second beer we talked about, and Hot and Bothered, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema. The rest of this episode will be available tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And to those of you already listening on your preferred podcast app, we'll be right back. Danger Zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Welcome to the danger zone, everybody. Um, it's going to get real dangerous because we have to talk about uh, murder. We have to talk about vicious murder. Um, if you've never heard the danger zone before, it's the part of the show where we spoil our movie of the week. So if you haven't seen it, this is your last warning. Go see X if you care about it being spoiled because spoil it, we shall. Um, that montage in the beginning I was talking about, there's, mm -hmm. there's some coital coitus is it i know point po, po, oh. you know you remember like the tongue twister toy boat you ever try to say that for say toy boat five times fast toy boat toy boat toy boat toy boat toy boat and you toy do boat, speak boat. okay you get i get it you're good at it post coital has the same effect i had a hard time saying toy boat and probably post post coital <laughs> as a kid <laughs> one of those things i was asked to say more than the other but my so there was is, some fucking there, there was sex being had on screen and it's it's intercut um and you know what i'm that's not correct they're having lemonade in in the uh, adult film script and simultaneously inside uh mia goth's character is having lemonade with the old lady and mm -hmm. the not only does do the shots kind of overlap but the dialogue overlaps in a really cool way yeah, uh, and it, it, in case you weren't picking up on the parallels of the the, the two characters, Mia Gotson and and the older gal, the older lady, the old lady, um, there there's a lot of them, and it's all about 
the themes of getting old and losing beauty and what it, what's the value of being young in life and what's really important. And I, I actually really loved all that stuff when they start getting into the relationship dynamics of the older couple as yeah. it pertains especially to sex. One of the most uncomfortable scenes for me, and I'm sure, I think you'd agree, is when those two finally have sex, the old people with Mia Goth under the bed, that was just, <laughs> and, and you know what was strange? Maybe it's not strange. Because they shoot the sex kind of from a ceiling shot with with the man mm-hmm. on top. And what was worse was when it was a close-up of their faces. And, like, his little hang tooth is connecting with her rotted mouth. And they're, like, kissing. And it's, like, weirdly tender for a second. But then you're like, no, it's not good. So, like, creepy and crawly all that was. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the thing that happened to my eyes. The other parallel that was drawn in this case by me was the similarities in the kind of similarities to Relic. Did you get this at all? A little, like vaguely, but not not really specifically. Right. So if you haven't, if you're unfamiliar, Relic is a film from 2020 that Johnny and I both really loved. It's a it's a horror film starring Emily Mortimer. Um and oh man, she deserves for me to remember her name and I just can't right now. But it was um sort of a big metaphor for I guess minor spoilers for Relic. It was kind of a metaphor for aging and feeling scared about that and what it does to the relationships of the people, including the person aging, but the people that are dealing with that aging process, particularly as it pertains to, I think it was dementia in this case. Mm -hmm. And the overlap with this movie is that basically this old, crazy, murderous woman just needs to be loved by her husband. And she used to have this vibrant life and she felt like she's fallen into this life of just existing and and not being appreciated. And there's a lot of vanity and ego that keeps her from being a fully sympathetic character, if you ask me. But you understand. Like, there's one point where she just, like, wants her husband just to, like, hug her or dance with her is what it is. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't. My heart. Which, God, when he dies of a heart attack is the best. Loved that moment. (laughs) It's like, yeah. like Presumably, they've also been, like, murdering people for a while. And the fact yeah. that he uses his heart as the excuse not to dance with his wife, like he's the bad guy. She's also the bad guy, but like you kind of understand she's been dealing with this for years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you should murder people, yeah. but I yeah. get it. There, she's she's like the bad guy kind of, but he's he's the way worse guy. Yeah. 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 And that's a Billie Eilish song that no one wants to hear. For sure. Dude, by the way, uh, not by the way, this has nothing to do with anything you've been saying, but I caught something early on, which is when they first leave the um, – the cocktail bar, the strip club or whatever, where they all work. Mm-hmm. Um, Brittany Snow's character walks out and she looks a lot like the, the blonde gal painted on the side of the building. Mm. And I noticed it right away. So then I was like, all right, what else? I'm going to look at this frame. And there, the girl on the painting dress is being bitten by an alligator <laughs> pulling her yeah. off. And I was like, Oh man, when I, the moment they said there's an alligator around the property, I was like, I know for sure that character is dying from via, via alligator bite. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, foreshadowing, but in really like subtle ways in this movie. Like on the second watch, I feel like we're gonna yep. pick up on a lot more. Yep. yep. Are you gonna Are you gonna watch this again at some point? Do you think? Yeah, I'll watch it again. Do you think it's gonna be kind of up there with your? I don't know if you really have go to horror movies. Not like a classic, no. but like. Would you short like answer show is no. This to it won't. People? Yeah, like it doesn't seem quite that that groundbreaking, but I I, do. I would show this to like major horror nerds as something that's really good and new and fresh and 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 interesting to watch because yeah, it's yeah. got the the fun cinematography and good editing like 
as a movie, the bones of it, the production of it, are much better than most horror movies out there right now. Certainly Would I pick one, this yeah, over sure. the newest, the newest Halloween movie yeah. every fucking day of the week, yeah. dude? That God, movie was is garbage, so bad, dude. Um, yeah, yeah, but no, it's it's not going to go into my my pantheon of of greatness as far as horror movies go. But it is, it's up there with all the other A twenty four horror movies. I don't think it's their best one. It might be in the top five. If it may, I guess this is a two part question. Part one is: Can you separate the nostalgia and appreciation that you have for seventies slashers? And if so, how does this stack up next to something like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Um, like the originals, yeah. Um. It's, it's just so different. There's just is more. It? it is. The, they focus a lot on the characters and it has a bit more drama to it. It's It definitely feels uh, Sorry, like Sorry, which, which one focuses on the characters and has drama? Uh, this one. Got it. Which, you know, I, I think, it, does it stack? It depends on which old horror movie you're going off of. There's some that were super well done that that had like the dynamics of the families and stuff. But I think it holds its own with some of those classics. I really do. I think that would be the goal. Cause, cause it does toe the line. Like you were saying between, I think you said, um, uh, something in adaptation, you said innovation mm. and adaptation maybe. Um, yeah. And yeah. And for me, I, I would toss in maybe a different word, which is, um, yeah. Like homage versus derivation or, or, or derivativeness. Uh, yeah. And I think this has a lot of those vibes, but it does a pretty good job of not feeling like it's just trying to rehash that stuff. Exactly. It's tough to do. Yeah, it is. It is definitely trying to be its own thing, which is all you can ask, right? Yeah. You know, right. You're, you are obviously being so influenced by those, those movies that you need to make it your own and be unique in some way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm skimming the files in my brain. I think that's the most of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, I was, I, you know, I guess I was hoping for a slightly greater of a subversion of the, like the final girl trope, which yeah. gets done a lot, even in modern horror. I, I was hoping this might have something more to say about that. And I'm not sure how it could have gotten there, but I, yeah, spent- I kept waiting for like some sort of time travel twist because there was so many sil- similarities between the, the old woman and the young sure. woman that like, are you the same person? And did your dimensions collide or something? That would have been fun. Has there been, have there been many, horror sci-fi mashups where where something like that happens with time travel i don't think so not with time travel no but you know it they could have done something there you know like yes maybe the main character was like overdosed and was in a coma and like has this crazy vision of her future and she ends up not being that special yeah that would have been a fun way to like totally mind fuck the whole audience and be like yeah this has been a horror movie but it's all been taking place in someone's mind Oh, okay. You're, so you're not even saying that they would actually time. You're saying this is all sort of a like a dream, kind of like a coma dream. Yeah, well, that would have been cool. Oh, see, I'd be more interested in if it were actually to take place. Like it kind of would really stretch the grandfather paradox a little bit. It's like, why is this? Why is future you trying to murder current you? Like you're that upset with the way your life went that you'd rather just end it all. That is psychologically way more disturbing to me. Which is uh, actually springboarded me into another thought that I wanted to mention. You often talk about a barometer for enjoying a movie being should this movie have been made Mm -hmm. and i that one's not as helpful for me it's too broad but when it comes to horror movies my barometer is a is this scary and b why is it scary and my biggest thing with not enjoying or appreciating slashers is that it's basically people running until they get murdered 
which is mm-hmm. scary. I don't like being chased. Like I, that's to- I wouldn't want to get murdered. You got me there. Slasher films, but yeah, far more scary to me is stuff that hits you in a psychological or existential way, like the fear of aging and losing beauty and the meaning of life. If all you have left is like the person that you're with when you're, I don't know how old they are. These old people, they must be like 150, but like, that's Mm -hmm. all you got left. That's scary. Or, or the commentary and hereditary about, um, you know, um, mental health as it pertains to generational gaps, like that's scary, real life, scary stuff. And that Mm -hmm. I think is the difference for me in really enjoying is not the right word, but appreciating a good horror movie. It's got more just to, more to say than just death. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, this whole genre was started as, you know, it's, they're supposed to be scary movies. So like, really yeah. the question is, is it scary? And then like the question is of, is it a good movie or was it thought provoking is always secondary. It seems like in this genre, mm-hmm. I mean, there's many exceptions, mm-hmm. but yeah. by and large, that is, that is the rule. And, I think any movie that goes outside of that ventures into actually being a more interesting film 100%. to watch. So I think this had that, though. It had those elements yep. of of the woman fighting her aging and also dealing with being in kind of a, a love, loveless, sexless marriage because of age and physical yeah. restraints and then dealing with your mortality and not being as pretty as you once were. And then I think a good horror movie... It doesn't have to be scary if it's unsettling. And I think this movie had a mix of both. I yes. think the most unsettling scene in the whole movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Is when the the old scary lady is in bed with the young oh, lady. Oh, man. Describe that, it for people that haven't seen it. I think it deserves it. Okay. So we have this young woman's character played by Mia Goth. Yeah. Uh, Maxine Minx right. is laying in bed, sound asleep, and her, her boyfriend slash porn producer, Martin Henderson, dead at this playing, point. Yeah. Playing yeah. the character of Wayne Gilroy. <laughs> uh, he's been dead for a moment. But this old lady just slowly creeps into Mia Goth's room, no. uh, proceeds to remove her nightgown and get in bed with her and start. Touching her erotically, caressing, I think is a better caressing and she's not kissing, groping. She's like, yeah, like, like, like tenderly. Like it was like almost sweet if it wasn't so fucking just. Bleh. Yeah, it was very um, like ego based. It was like this is what my body used to be. Yeah, like it was almost masturbatory. Like you're yeah. touching her to get a grasp on your your former beauty for sure. It it was so unsettling for me. Like yeah, there was some really gore laced killings and some Mm -hmm. really some unique killings i mean there was definitely some stuff that was kind of predictable but that scene by far the most unsettling thing in the movie it's a very good contender i agree um there's a there's a lot of creepy ones though like there's a lot where you're sort of just squirming like yeah for me that one for sure because and and i think this movie does a really good job pacing those creepy moments like you mentioned it actually i think you said it scared you twice i assume you kind of meant like jump scares Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of them in the movie, and I really appreciate. No, which is good. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that when they do use them, they're not really scary scenarios. Like they're yeah. One time you get a jump scare from running in, like two people running into each other, but they're both they're you know they're just two of the people from the film crew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the way they pace out what makes it scary is not the jump scares; it's these creepy long scenarios where you see things happening before the characters do, and you're mm-hmm. left there to kind of marinate in that in that tension and that terror. That works great for me on me. Yeah, that adds such a thick layer of suspense to this movie sandwich. Yeah, yes, yeah, nicely put. I love that. Um, You got anything else on X? 
Uh, Kid Cudi was pretty great playing Jackson Hole. What a, I got what, a, out what an adult star name, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it was pretty great. Um, yeah, I think that's about it, man. I mean, I think we've pretty much said all that we can say about this. I liked it. I think this might point people of my generation back to to movies of the, the 70s that maybe they hadn't seen. So I think if that could be some good that comes out of this. Um, like sometimes if you're not familiar with an era of filmmaking and you see something that's a direct homage to it or is deeply inspired by it, it makes you want to go back and research the great films of that time. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this shines a light on the seventies era horror films that are out there that are absolute bangers. You want to drink another beer? Yeah, let's drink another beer. All right. Beer number two, my friend, I've picked this one out again. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about this one. This is called Cleveland Cowboy. And it's also from Prairie, in case you don't know the format of the show. Uh, it's an impastrial puree sour. Johnny, would you tell everybody about the beer, please? <laughs> yeah. I can't. I so, can't. Uh, you know. That's fine. Cleveland Cowboys and Imperial Pastry Sour with tart cherries and sweet cherries, vanilla, cinnamon, and pecans. And it clocks at 7.9%. ABV comes in a cute little 12-ounce can. Features uh, some embroidered jeans with a Cowboys cartoon buttocks and a white clad T-shirt torso. With a, with little, a cute in, little cherry yeah. patch. Instead of like the Levi's, you know, the little leather patch on, on jeans on the back. Cherries. Yeah. Feels like a reference to something that I'm just not aware of. Uh, probably the Bruce Springsteen record. Is there one called Cleveland Cowboy? No, but there's a an album cover that's just like his butt in jeans with oh, a white shirt on. I think it's born in the, the USA, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know we were both feeling salty today, which is why we're doing two sours. Figure opposites attract. And it's definitely not that I just picked these beers out a week ago. So my question is, are you feeling like you're going to get burnt out on sours? No, because I like the first one. I just, uh, we'll see about this one. I, I don't know. It could be a lot, man. Those flavors that you listed are, are potentially very overwhelming. I'm really holding out hope for the cinnamon and pecans, though, to give it a, a bready kind of crusty, desserty kind of flavor. But we'll see. Have you poured yours? That's gross. Oh, it is? That's gross. What's that shaking that I'm hearing in your life? I don't know. I'm not shaking. Oh, I just thought I heard like a like your lactose pills or something. Sometimes I hear those, but maybe it's just something oh. in, the, in the phone noise. You don't like this. It's gross. I'm not enjoying it at all thus far. Okay, I'm going to try it too. Why not? There's like a weird savoriness to it. Like, I don't know why it tastes savory. Meaty. It's almost meaty. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind why of umami kind of quality. Yeah. Why does this taste like steak? Oh, I think you're. that's too high praise. This tastes like ground beef, buddy. Ugh. No, it no, doesn't. I mean, I'm exaggerating quite a bit. Like, it's not that pernicious, but uh, there is something very, very meaty is not correct. I'm also emphasizing the tea, so nobody thinks I'm talking about mead with a D, which uh, no. a beer with these flavors could taste like. I mean, flesh. Um, yeah, it tastes like a protein that you would order on top of a salad. Maybe. It, I, there's I there's notes of that. Like I don't want to tell people we're drinking meat beer necessarily, but there is a savory quality to this that I wasn't expecting. Definitely. Yeah, because it's it's a pastry sour. So usually that means it's going to be sweet as hell. Um, question: but This one with with that? question for you with the meaty setup that we've just given it. Can can I in good faith without you judging me tell you that I like it so far, or is that I mean, like nuts? If, you might be iron deficient, bro. Maybe. Uh, is this beer like brewed with heme? Ugh. Could be a thing. 
I, dude, I like it. It's not, it's not, all jokes aside, it's not that meaty. There's, there's a lot of cherry. It's a robust, full cherry flavor. Now I'm going to say that's maybe what that is, but I, I like it so far, man. It is not nearly as sweet or as sour as I was expecting. Like the vanilla is on the nose at best. I'm not really getting any cinnamon. Maybe it is the the pecans. You're because pecans maybe. have sort of a like you know they've got a heft to them. They're a dense, <laughs> meaty nut. Come on, you're gonna say pecans taste like meat right now? <laughs> no, I'm saying maybe they're adding a savory element. Maybe yeah, they maybe. used salted pecans on accident. Um, yeah, I mean maybe. I I taste a lot of cinnamon and vanilla. I think it might be your mouth. No, I get the cinnamon. It it tastes like, or it smells like prairie bomb that like went sour. Yeah, you know, for what it's worth, prairie as a brewery is kind of hit or miss for me. There's some beers like like uh, vanilla noir. I think is world class. Yeah. But then some beers are like the one that we did uh, seasick crocodile for our Christmas special a couple years ago. Trash. Barely drinkable. Yeah, and it's one of those breweries that you can't always know that what you're going to get. It's like McKellar you, because they do so many experimental things and try so many new avenues for brewing and flavor adjuncts that you're like, I, maybe it'll be garbage. But I think that's kind of fun sometimes because when you get those great ones, you're like, this is amazing. And yeah. and actually, all that said, this might finally break that rule for me because this isn't amazing or disgusting for me. I think it's pretty okay so far. No, I, I agree. It really isn't either. It's not hitting either end of the spectrum. I'm not over or under. I'm very just whelmed. whelmed. Yeah, 100%. This very is a whelming very beer. whelming beer. Mm-hmm. It's not outstanding in any one capacity. I would like this to have more defining character traits because it's not striking me as a sour, really. It's more like a tart ale, honestly. I'm not getting the pastry. I'm not getting an overwhelming... I'm not even overwhelming. I'm not getting a presence of like a full-bodied, enjoyable sweetness. I would call this semi-sweet at best. So the fact that you're calling this not only a pastry beer but a sour that uh, includes sweet cherries and vanilla, even with tart cherries, this should be something that is akin to like a tart cherry vanilla Pepsi or something like that. But like what I'm getting versus what was sold to me on the label of the can is not even close. And so that immediately takes me out of liking this beer because it isn't what you said it is. And as a consumer, that's a really big problem for me right out the jump. I mean, I guess, and we factor that in obviously too, like that, that becomes a factor sometimes, but I also think for the most part, we overlook that. And I, what I was about to say before you made that sound is that I think your actual problem is that you just don't like this beer. Cause I'm, I'm with you. I think if you're advertising, particularly something that is this audacious and is going to make claims like this one is suggesting it will make with all these different flavors, it should probably to some extent, at least a little bit live up to those expectations. But when a beer doesn't, I'm almost all the time, if I enjoy the beer, willing to forgive the marketing misdirection. Where I am not willing to forgive that is when the beer is disgusting and makes me make a sound like you just made. So I think you just don't like this beer and you don't like that it doesn't taste like what it said it was going to. Is that correct? Yeah, it tastes like the worst version possible of what the words say on the can. Yeah, and I think that's a totally valid criticism. It's a very subjective one because I think it's pretty good. I think that the, the, I think it's plenty sweet. I think there's some tartness as well. Mostly on the back burner. 
in an, could in, you go ahead? Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm interrupting you. Um, well, I was going to say it's it's tart mostly on the afterburner in a very acidic back of the throat slash top of the stomach region kind of heat, and I partially attribute that to the alcohol, the seven point nine percent, but also from tart cherries. If you if you've had cherries that aren't the most sweet, they can be very very biting. I think that the vanilla balances some of that out. The cinnamon gives it a bit of spice. This is, by all measurements of flavor, a Christmas time beer. This is what we should have been drinking instead of Seasick Crocodile on our Christmas special. I think reframing it as a holiday beer, in my brain, would be the marketing move. Because I, I do like what I'm drinking. What were you going to say? I was going to ask you if at any point in drinking this, if you hadn't looked at the can, would you have called this a pastry sour? I wouldn't have thrown in pastry, but yeah, I'd call it a sour. If you know, I could maybe make the case that it was a very aggressive frambois or something like that. Um, but for me, that does come or like, yeah, the, the sweetness is where it's at. I don't even think you would have come up with frambois because you don't think it's that sweet. But no, and when fr- framboises are usually yeah sweet, I yeah. was thinking of a couple that are like crazy tart too. Sure, yeah, you can, they can run the gamut for sure. Um, I yeah. always my go to is that that Lindemann's, Um, I think it's just called their normal frambois, or maybe oh. Yeah. Or like a new Glarus, one of those. That shit's like uh, wine coolers that's labeled as beer. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they hydrate you. I don't know what the <laughs> ABV is. so but good. It's so good. Um, no, it's cherry candy. And I think this has those elements, but more nuanced and, and a little bit more sophisticated if I don't, don't get too soapboxy with it. But I, yeah, I, I like where this beer goes evolutionarily in my mouth. It, it changes quite a bit from start to finish, which is always fun. And I think, yeah, I think I would have, yeah, for sure come up with it being a sour. I don't know if I would have said imperial pastry sour necessarily. I'm also still a little unclear on the distinction between uh, pastry sours, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but... Uh, and smoothies And smoothie sours, and all yeah. The, yeah. So all the, yeah, like I would have called the first one for sure just by looking at it a smoothie sour, if not mm-hmm. just a smoothie. Right? Or a root beer float with pineapple or something. That's how it looks. Yeah. Um. Okay, well... You got anything more you want to talk about with Cleveland Cowboy? Yeah. This whole yeah, I've got quite a bit. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of shit to say. I'm really not happy with this beer. Okay. Um, I honestly, if I was blindfolded, even on the nose, I'm getting like a weird spice f- smell that's more than just cinnamon, and that might be with the the pecans, but I'm also getting a flavor of maybe portobello mushrooms. I love that you said if you were blindfolded, as if you use your eyes to pick out flavors. Because you're like, if I were blindfolded, I'm smelling this. Like, well, like I, if I hadn't, if I hadn't seen the can. Oh, okay, okay. And if I couldn't see the color of it, I would guess that this beer was like dark brown. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's almost got like a raisiny smell to it, and I don't know what the spice blend is doing for my nose, but it's the cinnamon and the pecans and the cherries. It's not adding up to what I would think it should t- smell like and yeah i'm yeah. definitely getting mushroom notes interesting okay do you know what i think this beer could masquerade as with a couple of tweaks to the recipe is um is a barley wine i bet you if they aged this somehow and added darker malts and kept the cherries and the vanilla um and the pecan and uh not pecan yeah pecan and cinnamon this would make for a very hefty boozy barley wine and it in that sense me. i'm with you yeah it reminds me of a um um, a Berliner Weiss for sure because it it has a, a salinity to it. I mean, really, okay. I'm getting okay. like very mushroom notes and like saline solution. That's that's a take. I I don't totally disagree with you. I wouldn't have maybe picked it out and framed it that way, but I could see this being more of a 
maybe that's the savory thing we're talking about in the beginning. Like maybe now that we've, we've, um, you know, zeroed in a little bit, it's not, it's not meatiness. It's a, it's a saltiness, uh, that, yeah. that lends itself to a, an almost savory kind of flavor going on in this thing. Mm-hmm. It's gross. Yeah. And I don't think it's gross, but I can absolutely see this being very divisive. It's definitely not for everybody. Um, which is another reason to go out and buy it if you get a chance. This one was also at SNS. Um, the first beer, by the way, um, since we're we're in the clear, was six bucks. I think this one was about five or six, also. So not super cheap. They're twelve ounce cans. Um, not super expensive. So if our descriptions or feedback on either of these beers uh, have appealed to you, I'd say try them because they they might win you over. I hate this beer. Well, then let's stop talking about it as soon as you rate it. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's like a one point three. You hate this beer. I hate this beer. One point. Wow. That's got to be. That's it. It it tastes like sweat <laughs> and mushrooms and sad cherries. It tastes I fucking hate it. It tastes like the way that Nick Cage's character looks like he would taste in pig is what you're saying. Yeah. If I licked Nick Cage after he was collecting truffles. Yeah. If he just put his fingers all up in my mouth. This it's this beer. I'm going to need you, by the way, to add pig to your hot and bothered section when we get there because you finally watched it. Oh, and yeah. People deserve to know. Oh, I have to follow up because yeah. it's not a broken promise anymore. Correct. Um, oh, is it? Was it on that list? Oh, yeah. Okay, then you're going to talk about it very briefly here because we're going to do a full Johnny's Future Broken Promises uh, fulfilled on Patreon for that. So don't give me too much yet. Okay. Uh, as Cleveland Cowboy goes, I think it's, I think it's solid. It's not amazing. I will not drink it again probably unless somebody gives it to me. Then I'll be like, obviously, thank you. It's the polite thing to say, and then I'll drink it. So. You know, it's a, it's a, it's like a, oh, I'm actually struggling. It's a, it's a five. It's also a five. It's, I'm going to give it middle of the road, middle of the road. Wow. I think it's fine. Wow. You, that's a hot fucking take. You're saying that's too high. You know how many better beers you've given a five to? You can't hang on. This isn't part of the show. You don't get a, you don't negotiate after the rating is no, the cows have come home to roost, dude. No, I know, and you're <laughs> reaping the consequences, man. No, you have given that's so what many listeners right in for. That, I can hear that. So from them, I'm a listener you, too. Sir. I'm having to listen to you. <laughs> You've given so much better beers of like of five. Okay, it's not beer. Okay. It's it's the, look, man. Partially, it's stylistic. You know, like as imperial pastry sours go. To some extent, that's kind of how I'm rating it. It's a five. Like I think it's pretty good. I'm gonna drink more of mine. I like it. <sighs> when I have to go do stuff, I'm not gonna like chug it. I'm going to leave it, but I'm going to drink it while I have it. And that's gonna, like almost by definition average. Fair enough. I'm going to bathe my cat with my tongue to get this taste out of my mouth. That's a horrendous image. You want to go to Hot and Bothered and I'll lead off with that being my bothered? <laughs> yeah, dude, let's do it. Hot and Welcome to Hot and Bothered. Um, you know, I, I think the name kind of explains itself, but maybe it's just because we've been doing it for so long. Like maybe the name really just says we're going to talk about sexual stuff, which is sometimes true, but it's not intrinsic. So if you if you don't know, hot when has that ever been true? When is it true that we don't talk about sexual stuff? When have we ever talked about sexual stuff? I think Nick Cage and Pig is sexual. I don't know. I think I mean I did just say his fingers in my mouth. Right. So like, I mean, like there's I think there's degrees to this, but the point is it's not it's not built into what hot and bothered has to be. What hot and bothered has to be is honest. It's got to be honest. That's the big deal. It's what we got going on. It can be positive. It can be negative. It can be everything in between, but it will be honest. So honestly, 
um, you licking your cat as an image, I'm going to have a hard time getting out of my head. So that's my only bothered. I do have three hots that I'd like to um, get off of my chest. All right, give them to me. Number one is I was on the road for a few days. I'm on the road now, but I was on the road in a new place um, this past weekend playing a wedding in Bellingham, Washington, which is which is about as north as you can go before you start saying A and moose and love and hockey. And it was a fantastically gorgeous wedding. There was, I'll give you a couple examples. The The wedding party walked down the aisle to the theme song from Jurassic Park. Hell a yeah. guest showed up in a full suit of armor. His sword was Sting from Lord of the Rings. Sick. Instead of a cake, they had um, a donut feeding ceremony during which they fed each other donuts, the bride and groom. And I played by request one of my songs called Young and Green, which I looked over and they were singing the words too. No. It's a great wedding. It was super fun. Oh, that's amazing. Ton of driving. I drove like 750 miles in, in a couple of days. I was very beat, but it was a lovely wedding. It's the kind of wedding that makes me remember why I like to play weddings. So that's awesome. Ashton, man. Kendall, that's... not a chance in hell you're ever going to hear this, but happy marriage, happy life, happy husband, happy wife, as we say. Hell yeah. Um, I also started a Patreon for myself, which has kind of been a long time coming. Um, I, I have ours mine set up slightly differently than ours where for, for the podcast Patreon, this is turning into a Patreon plug for our show, inevitably. Um, we charge based on how many episodes we release. So you can agree to donate a dollar per episode or whatever. For mine, it's a monthly subscription, basically. So anywhere from three to fifty dollars a month, and you get access to very you know how Patreon works, but it was fun. I recorded my first Patreon funded YouTube video in a flamingo themed Airbnb in Portland. Which was fun. Playing some Cindy Lauper. So I watched Cindy Lauper. Yep. Yep. And the good thing, like Johnny just pointed out, is that even if you don't feel like supporting me on Patreon, you can reap the benefits by watching those videos. Your name just won't be in the end credits. So that was fun. Um, my last thing is absolutely a hot, even though it may kind of read as a bothered at first, but but stick with me here. Um, we got uh we got some listener feedback. We don't we don't often read these on the show, but this one felt so good. And so honest that I felt dishonest not <laughs> announcing it. Um, and Johnny, you saw this email too, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got an email from a fellow named David who wrote in, and the subject line was "Well done" with an exclamation mark. Very excited. And David was writing in after hearing our discussion of "Drive My Car," which was also paired with our discussion of West Side Story and um, beers from uh, Burning Barrel, I think it was. And I just want to pick out a couple sentences that David wrote because I really appreciate this sort of direct communication. Um, he wrote in, hey, guys, I'm not a regular listener, uh, but the other day I was driving home from, from the gym and caught the first part of your show. Heard you mention you'd be reviewing Drive My Car. And he wrote, full disclosure, I'm a great fan of quote-unquote cinema as opposed to movies and generally am completely bored slash annoyed by the films you choose to discuss. And secondly, I'm a brewer with a brewmaster degree from Germany and I'm also unfortunately bored and annoyed by the beers you choose to discuss. So whenever I do catch your show, I don't have high expectations that I would be interested in it. But that's, that's that's what we're going for. But I've always been struck by the production. Then he goes on to compliment sort of the production of the show, which I thought was sweet. He mentioned that he lived in Japan um, for about 11 years. And he goes on to talk about a completely um, accidental thing. Well, not accidental. I mean, we wanted to talk about the sound design of Drive My Car. So we did. And, and he was very... Um, praiseworthy about sort of our observation in, in the sound design and how that he goes into how that's a big part of Japanese culture, especially Japanese film and, um, gets into some other stuff that I, I won't read here. But, um, after a little bit of, um, 
you know, like, I feel like he like beat us down to build us up a little bit. It ended really sweet. Um, he said, I've appreciated, um, where'd it go? Um, of course, 20 minutes or so on a podcast means you have to choose carefully what you talk about, but there were dozens of other really, uh, outstanding sound aspects on it. I'm glad you guys touched on it. Um, so well done on the review. I'd love to hear more coverage of serious films. So thanks, David. I mean, it's great feedback. I, I feel like there's an expectation sometimes that feedback has to be all positive. And I, I kind of like when people are like, I listened. I think you had some good stuff. I also think you had some bad stuff. But here you go. Here's me writing you an email. So thanks for writing <laughs> in. I think it's great. Yeah. I always appreciate hearing from a listener. Um, and that's all I got, man. What do you what do you got going on in your life this week? Uh, knocked out a series. So watched all of 1883. It's been recommended to me by multiple people, and mm. it is a prequel to the current very popular show Yellowstone. Right. You so don't even like Yellowstone. Of, I hate Yellowstone, but I'm giving it another try because I liked 1883. Okay. We'll see. But 1883 was really, really good. Uh, it was a period piece set in, hey, you guessed it, 1883. Sure. It's uh, about a family who the patriarch of the family is played by Tim McGraw, and his wife uh, in real life and in the show is uh, Faith Hill. And they are essentially embarking on a trip on the Oregon Trail from Texas to Oregon, and they are led or join forces, I shall say, with a guide played by Sam Elliott. So mm -hmm. you have sure. vintage, you know, aged like fine wine, Sam Elliott back on a horse in a Western. Uh, it was gritty. It was violent. It was gross. It was, I would feel like probably even in its extremes, a vast underrepresentation of how fucked up the Oregon trail was. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It was, it kind of played almost like a, like a Western novel come to life. It had very lonesome dove element at, at time with, you know, some of the inner family drama and relationship and issues and stuff. But overall, I thought it was a really well done show. It kept me engaged the whole time and everything felt meaningful and, and it had purpose and it was beautiful to look at. Some of the scenery that they were shooting in was just absolutely gorgeous. So, I mean, between some surprisingly good acting from Tim McGraw and Faith Hill and Sam Elliott, who is timeless, I really dug that show. So uh, I would recommend it. 1883 was really good. Is it is it Prime? It is on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Sweet. All right. which, which I have because all of Star Trek is on there. So oh, it's a subscription I have Star to have. Trek. Okay. Okay. What else? What, what does hops and shops mean? So hops and shops is what I did with my entire day Saturday. So I've been working way too much lately and it's event season. And hops and shops is a really cool event in downtown Reading where they close off a bunch of streets and local businesses host breweries to pour their beer inside of their retail establishments. Cool. And ticket buyers get a map and a glass and they get four hours to wander around downtown and visit different shops that maybe they've never gone into and try beers and ciders and stuff uh, from people such as myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a good time. It's one of the first events back since COVID in the last couple of years. It definitely felt like people were really excited to get out. Everyone was super friendly. Very, It was a very jovial, festive vibe. So that was a lot of fun. But that's part of why I'm exhausted and cranky today. Because sure. I came back from Reading Sunday afternoon and then 
did laundry and caught up on life and then went back to work at 6 a.m. today. So it just doesn't stop because I have another event this Saturday. Sure. So I'm just running on caffeine and, and love of the game right now. But I feel, dude, I, I mean, I get you. <laughs> I get it. You're right there with me. But uh, yeah, we take our, our recharging when we can. You know, it was it was a long day at the event. It was a great day, but it was nice to unwind over a steak with some other brewery reps and shooting the breeze and having some tequila and unwinding. It was uh, that camaraderie after an event between beer reps is is unique and special and fun. So it's you get kind of a couple reasons why I remember why I like this industry. Mm-hmm. So it was a good day. It was a good weekend. It was a lot of fun. Got to put some smiles on faces and and serve some good stuff. So overall, it's a big, big hop for me. That was a blast. Love it. Okay. And then, and then briefly, I suppose, can you, and you can judge your own integrity here, how much you want to turn this into a future plug for what you're going to eventually talk about on Patreon. But Pig was on a list of movies that I made for you. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Yeah, so it is a serious, very dramatic role from Nicolas Cage, one that he plays very straightforwardly. It was not ripe with Nicolas Cage-isms, so if you're concerned about that, fret not. It was a well-acted role from him, and it was a fascinating movie about a man who owns a truffle-hunting pig who has retired from some level of fame in the restaurant business. We're not sure how much at the movie's start. Um it was fascinating, delightful, enjoyable. We're going to do a full review of it on Patreon probably next week. Boom. And the last thing I'm going to say is it's immediately in my top 10 of 2021. Which so. is also what we're going to be doing on Patreon soon. So that's amazing. Yeah. So drop that, Mike. I'm really glad you suggested it. A few other people had suggested it, and I finally just broke down and, and watched it. And it was a gem of a movie. And the way that they filmed food was just... It's so oh. good. Oh, I ate it up with a spoon. So pun intended. Yeah. Suck it, nerds. Stoked <laughs> to do that full review on Pig next week on Patreon. But yeah, I loved it. So consider one promise unbroken? Broken? You could say broken fulfilled. Broken That's future. what I, I write, fulfilled. Okay. I, I've fulfilled. I've paid my debt to the movie God that is Max Minardi. Dude, this. so am I tripping? Or like the scene where he gives that speech to that chef? I, I don't want to talk about it now, but like where he says we, we don't get many things in life to care in this life to care about. Bro, Which are really, I was, it's so good. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. I love that movie. And and I did a little bit of reading on reviews on that and just some takes. And, mm. you know, there was a lot of people that were like, I spent 25 years in the restaurant industry yep. and that's how I felt at the end of my career. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, a lot of industry professionals in food said that it was a really accurate take on the way that the food industry is and the way it beats you down. For sure. Um, did not so much about like the fight club element. I'm yeah, maybe. It's in Portland, dude. Maybe? That's the other thing. This movie takes place just outside of Portland and then all of the yeah. action happens in Portland. Like, I don't know what goes on in the Yeah, in the like when the very early in the movie, they go to a food qu- uh, truck, uh, like courtyard. I've yeah. been there. Have you really? Yeah, I've been there. That's it's, cool. it's called the Asylum. It's a stationary place, and they have beer on tap, and you can get some amazing food. It's a must visit if you're ever in Portland. But I was just tripping out because, yeah, I go there every time I'm in Portland. Mm-hmm. It was wild seeing something I'm so familiar so, with on screen. Yeah, yeah, it makes you really attach emotion and, and appreciation to a movie. I found. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, loved it, and uh, that's all I'm going to say until we get into it next week. Cool, yeah. Again, that's Pig. If you have a Hulu subscription, it's available to stream there. If not, you can rent it on Vudu or YouTube or I think Amazon Prime Video for anywhere from uh, 
two to three dollars. So just mm-hmm. like if you're looking for something to watch that you um, that you haven't heard much about, it kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people. Certainly with the awards that have just happened, I think a lot of movies have gotten overshadowed, which is part of the reason I'm looking forward to doing our top ten of the year because it gives us an opportunity to uh, you know shed a little light on those. And this is going to be uh, a little bit of a tilting of my hand here. It's probably on my top ten too. Hell yeah. Um, all right, you got anything else, man? Well, <laughs> I wonder how many people tuned into this episode thinking we were going to talk about the Academy Awards. I, dude, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this. Partially the reason we didn't, at least in my brain, is that it happened about a week ago. And the downside in, in, to to Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, in addition to the downside of him slapping him physically, is like everybody's talked about that. And I think it overshadowed a lot of other stuff. Like we might have spent some time talking about how cool it was that Summer of Soul won. Um, yeah, but enough. Or that Coda won Best Picture. It. Totally. Um, yeah. Yes. The Oscars happened. The world continues to spin, or uh, the sun continues to spin, depending on what school of thought you are in. I bet you, if you're in the latter, you're probably not listening. So I think we're just spinning on a flat fucking disc. Who cares, man? man? Maybe. No, not I maybe. Know. No, I can't believe. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. We can't even. I can't joke about that stuff. I guess. Uh, no. Good. Um, All right. So nothing well, else. I'm Johnny Summers. Yeah, I'm actually. And you keep you keep my podcast co-host name out your fucking mouth. <laughs> uh we got to do our actual stuff. The show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. Special thanks to all of our friends on Patreon. We really do appreciate your undying love and support. And uh shout out to the handlebar who has a great happy hour, as most of you know. And uh we'll see you next week or the week after that with more great discussions of movies and beers. So tell a friend, uh, and we'll talk to you then. Sound good? That's it, man. Drink good beer, watch good movies, and make somebody smile this week. We love you. We'll see you next time. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema.